Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Lee Sloan. I like the title of this message because I'm a valley girl from the San Fernando Valley. You guys know what that is? Totally righteous. Like, totally, right? And so it reminded me of something when I'm reading through the scripture. And, you know, when I was a kid, I would always have great ideas, right? And I would tell my sister, who's three years younger than me, I'd be like, I have this great idea. And she'd be like, I mean, she's younger, but she's wiser. And she'd be like, how about this? You tell me your idea, and I'll tell you if it's a great idea. <laughs> and so I, I had this great idea that as I was reading through scripture, uh, I just kept hearing different colloquial type voices, you know, like a valley girl and like some other different kinds of people. And so I like wrote this thing, and we created this video with different people interpreting Romans. And it was really pretty fun, but we can't show it today. So I promise you I'm going to get that online. Uh, some people from the church helped me out, and I wanted to let them know. Thank you so much for helping me out. That was so fun. So you, you can, it'll be a good incentive for you to get on our Facebook group and see that. But, you know, today I'm, t- I'm going to be talking a lot about righteousness, and it's been f- so fun to be in this series and to go through and comb through the scriptures. And um, I just want to remind you, though, even though we have really some great teachers at Abbott Loop, you need one teacher that's going to read with you and be with you at all times. And that teacher is the Holy Spirit. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit as you interpret the Word of God. How many of you have noticed trying to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit is pretty difficult? Nothing really makes sense. And it really doesn't transform your life. I mean, you can memorize Scripture and do the whole thing. But it won't transform your life unless you have the Holy Spirit helping you. And so I just want to invite the Holy Spirit this morning. I know he's here, but I just want to acknowledge his presence in this place. First service, man, I was just so overwhelmed. It was so, it's so cool when you can feel it, like in your body, you can feel the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come and make yourself known to us. In the opening of the word, Lord, we want to do more than just know book, chapter, verse. We want to be transformed, body, soul, and spirit. And we want to let your glory transform us so that we can truly know you as you are. We want to spend a lifetime knowing you, knowing you more as you are, and then having a greater understanding of who we are in you. So we ask that you would begin to do that today. And I just, I sense that some of this is going to be instantaneous. You're going to get these new concepts. And for some of you, it's going to be like a slow release time capsule. You're going to be like, what? And then it's going to release over time. <laughs> so I just sense that from the Lord. So let's dive in here and start reading in Romans. Romans for the rest of us. Uh, we're in chapter 3 and verse 21. We're starting in verse 21. And some of these, we're going to go back to some of these terms that we've learned from the previous messages. But now apart from the law, and what law are they talking about? Are they talking about the Bill of Rights? No, they're talking about the law of Moses, right? So apart from the law, the righteousness, now I'm going to stop here again. Righteousness, this is what the whole message, the crux of the message is about. And by the way, I want to ask you, are you all right today? Are you all right today? Do you know how deep of a question that is? It's not just a casual question. Are you all right? Well, righteousness really means rightness. I'm just simplifying this really quick for you because a lot of times we think we see these words like righteousness and sanctifications and justification and all these words, and sometimes it doesn't really penetrate into our hearts, and we, it just 
kind of gets religified is kind of the word I use for it. It just kind of goes past us, and we don't let it sink in. So right, so think of it as rightness. Rightness and being made all right in relationship. Okay? We're going to get back to that. So, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So the law and the prophets are nodding their head to this righteousness. This righteousness or rightness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that part, right? (laughs) And all are justified freely. Now, this word justify, I'm going to use kind of a ghetto word for this. Legit. It means you're legitimate. Okay? So we're justified freely by his grace. Remember that strong arm of grace? The power of God working in and through us? That's what justified us. Through the redemption, and redemption is like you you redeem anything. You redeem a ticket. You redeem, you know, you know what redemption is. It's buying back, Right? And so it's basically paying a price to make something legit. It has a sense of ownership to it, right? So through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. How many of you know that his blood was a super legit price, right? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. And atonement just means the legit price that was paid to set us free. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? Faith. He did this to demonstrate his rightness, because he is absolutely right. Because in his forbearance, or in his foreknowledge, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now, I just want to pause right here, because I had to go look this up, and I had to figure out what this really means. It could cause, like, a question mark in your head. So just really quick, um, it talks about the sins that were left unpunished. This is before the cross, Um, People would, you know, the Jews would offer sacrifices for their sins, correct? And it would be the blood of bulls and of goats. Well, this was just to kind of mitigate the consequences of their sin. And so it was almost as if in the language it talks about, it's like they were pushed aside to be dealt with at a later time. So it wasn't that they were completely wiped out because that blood could not wipe out all of our sin. So it was at the time of Jesus that finally, through faith, we could appropriate that and wipe it all out. Okay, does that make sense? All right. So moving on to verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness or rightness. It's all about his rightness at the present time, so as to be just or legit, and then the one who justifies or legitimizes. I mean, we got to have somebody who's right to make us right, correct? Those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. See, the Jews had forgotten about faith, that that was what their whole religion was founded on, and they forgot about it. So we maintain that a person is justified or legitimized by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Because, see, these Jews thought that they they were all that in a bag of chips, right? (laughs) So, is he not God of the Gentiles? Amen? Amen. Yes, of the Gentiles, too. 
since there is only one God who will justify or legitimize the circumcised by faith, which the circumcised are the Jews, and the uncircumcised, all the rest of us, through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Do we toss the law? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So the law has a role, right? So before I move on and get into this, I want to show you what I found um, from, now I know I, I had um, very simplified versions of these these words to give you kind of a definition. So it's not the exhaustive definition. You can go look at, at it in more detail. But I want you to know that all forms of the word justice and the word righteousness actually came from the same Greek root word. And I think you said dike, and there's like a, a little line over the E that I couldn't put in there. But, but these are all kind of the same concept, okay? So it's all about justice. It's all about being right. Okay, I just thought you would, it would help you to know that, that, that Paul is kind of weaving this as a theme throughout this entire portion of Scripture. And last week, Pastor Rick gave us a lot of uh, good information and good um, understanding about the circumcision, the Jews, the Gentiles, how all of that dynamic works. So all of what he said, said is going to apply to this portion of Scripture too. So if you're going, what in the world is the thing about the Jews and the Gentiles and circumcision? Go get his message and listen to it and apply it here, okay? Because I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into that today. Today, I'm really going to talk about righteousness, how we appropriate it, how we live in it. Because it's so foundational in our walk with Jesus, but I think sometimes uh, we miss it. You know, we kind of gloss over, like we gloss over those words and go, what does this really mean? I can say I'm, oh sure, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, but what does that really mean? And so, so going back to what we've learned, the Jews had a couple different kinds of laws. Well, they had several, many, many different laws. 613 laws of Moses. That was just the laws of Moses. Then we know that, that men thought they needed more laws. So they embellished them and they added on another few hundred law, men. <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't think there were any women making those laws. <laughs> but uh, anyway, sorry, men. Um, <laughs> So they, so they would add on more and more laws. I mean, these people were law happy, right? I mean, if, if we Italians were known for our good food, they were known for their laws. And they were pretty, okay, Mexicans and all those other people are known for their good food too. Um, anyway, but so you add law upon law. They were proud of their laws. Their laws were their culture. They had founded their whole culture in these laws. And they prided themselves in it. And that's why Paul is saying, can we boast about this? Come on, guys. They had forgotten that their whole foundation was supposed to be faith. Okay? So we may not think, okay, we're Americans, right? We're like, how can we relate to this? We don't like laws as Americans. I don't think we like a lot of laws. I mean, we even create laws so that other people won't put more laws on us, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what kind of the Bill of Rights is and stuff? Um, so, so we think that we can't understand that. But but we do it just the same as they do. And I want to give you some examples. You know, you don't really know if you're operating by law until somebody violates your law, you know? Until somebody kind of moves your cheese a little bit. <laughs> and I, I know, like for example, parenting. All of you parents, we know we have a hard job. But whether you're a parent or not, I can guarantee you, you have a way you think parenting should be done, don't you? And you wouldn't maybe admit it to people, but if you see someone in the store that's violating your parenting law, 
you're going to think thoughts, aren't you? <laughs> and um, we all admit it, okay? We, we have a certain standard in our head, right? I, I remember when we first had Ian, and poor Jake, man. I'll, I'll just say that I, I'm a reader. I read lots and lots of books on parenting. How many of you are like this? Read lots of books? And <laughs> I would read opposing viewpoints. And so I knew the ins and outs of every kind of viewpoint that there would ever be on parenting. And then I would ask my poor husband, Jake, so what do you think about this? Can he ever win in a, in a question like that? He would state his opinion, and then I would give him about 17 rebuttals to his opinion and why he needed to understand this and this and this and this. And it drove him nuts. And plus, we were both sleep deprived, so it, it was kind of crazy. And I needed to learn how to chillax a little bit, right? So I learned that over three, three children, kind of teaches you that. But it's, maybe it's not about parenting. Maybe it's about, like, the food you put in your mouth. I mean, how many different kind of diet plans do we have? Ladies, come on. I mean, I know men do it too. I mean, they are such opposing viewpoints on this is good for you. No, this is good for you. Stay away from that. And, and maybe you found something that works for you, and God bless you for that. But it can become a law to us, can it, that we bow down to. And what about money in the church? What about what's reasonable to make and to spend? And um, I know us ladies, like I do this, when somebody compliments me on something, I'm like, oh, I got it 50% off. Or, or I got it from the give and take. Now, there's nothing wrong with celebrating a sale, right, guys? I mean, but, <laughs> but do I say that just to protect me from you judging me for spending money on something? Or maybe. <laughs> I've been in church a while. I know how this works. Um, don't you see that all these things are about quantities? They're about actions, things we can measure, things we can see with our eyes and, and sense with our senses, things we can observe. What's so much harder to do is to judge by the Spirit and to see things the way God sees things underneath the surface, the unmeasurables, the unquantifiables. There's so much information that we have. We have so many quantifiables, but we have so little understanding, don't we? So what we do is we latch onto information as a kind of false security blanket, you know? And when Paul's talking to the religious people of his day, what did they do? They latched onto the law. We have our own things we latch onto, don't we? I think of it like this. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, right? They were completely aware of their shame and their sin. And what did they reach out for? Did they reach out for God? To connect again with God? No. They reached out for fig leaves. Something God created, but it wasn't God. It was something else. And they, they used it to cover over their shame. So I, I picture people in Paul's day taking big scrolls and trying to cover themselves with this law. Like the rich young ruler who said, I've done everything. I've done everything, Jesus. Look at this. Um. Or, you know, what we do is we grab, you know, articles and opinions and we think we're so smart, we just talk a lot and fill up the space. But, but maybe we're lacking that connection. And maybe it's covering something over, our inadequacies. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. <laughs> so we worship the letter rather than the writer of the letter. 
You know, I mean, God created those fig leaves. They're not bad, but we turn to them because it's so much easier than having a relationship, isn't it? It's easier to follow a manual than to interpret a love letter. How do you see the word of God? Do you see it as a manual or more of a love letter? You know, uh, it might be easier to interpret, but it's not nearly as fun to unpack, is it? It's not nearly as life-changing, at least not for me, I know. You, there, may, there may be some manual people in here. I don't know about that, but, but I don't think it's as fun. God never wrote the law as a substitute for himself, ever. And he never intended the manual to replace the love letter. You know, my, my mom gave me this air fryer. You've had those, they're, they're like supposed to fry things. They're good. <laughs> supposed to fry things with less oil and stuff. And, and I looked at the, the manual, but I didn't go to the manual for cooking inspiration. I didn't try to see if the manual could teach me how to be a good cook, right? It's like that. We come, when we, so often we think of righteousness, I think we think too small. We think manual size, Right? And, and it, really, we need the manual to know if the, it's operating correctly. I mean, we don't want the thing to blow up, right? The manual has its place, but it doesn't transform us. Righteousness is so, so much more than just ticking off the list, just operating by the manual. Now, I, I really know what I'm talking about when it comes to operating by the manual, because I grew up in the church. I went through this phase of perfectionism where everything had to be just right. And maybe some of you have heard my story. I battled anorexia, and I didn't even know that I, w I was struggling with it. But I just thought, I am in control. I'm going to set my own standard. I, I can have self-control, and I can set my standards. And if I meet my standards of how I'm supposed to look, how I'm supposed to act, it, it, it was more than just how I was supposed to look. It was pleasing everyone in my life. And I thought that if I got to the standard, if I did the fig leaves just right, that God would be pleased with me and that I would be pleased with myself. And, but I wasn't righteous. I was self-righteous. And there's a huge, huge difference. It was exhausting me. It was literally killing me. I didn't even know it. So I bought into the idea that I could quantify myself into a successful life. That there was some scale that could measure it. And I, I even misinterpreted scripture to support what I was doing the whole entire time. A born-again believer. I had no idea that success was about connection and not quantification. That righteousness was so much more about right relationship than anything else. So if you value anything over right relationship, you're on the wrong path. And it's going to exhaust you. It's going to wear you down, and it might even kill you. Now, I want to pause for a minute. I want to look at the life of King David. I know I refer to King David a lot, but I think it's so cool that he had this New Testament mindset in an Old Testament world. And so he was the sort of toss-the-manual kind of guy, wasn't he? Right? And it drove some people nuts. But here's, I want to show you Psalm 18. I want to show you something in here. This maybe doesn't get quoted a lot for good reason. But I want to say before we go to Psalm 18 that we know David messed up royally. Did he not? Yeah. There is no way you can make a biblical case that he did not. 
Okay, so let's read that. In light of knowing that, let's read Psalm 18, verses 20 to 24. The Lord has dealt with me, he says, according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Wow, it's quiet in here. Pretty audacious words from David. I would venture to say if that David, if he, you know, proclaimed this from the church pulpit somewhere, he wouldn't be first in line to be head usher, would he? Because <laughs> they'd be like, what kind of pride is on that man? Doesn't he know who he is? Doesn't he know what he's done? How can David say this? How can he make these statements? Well, I don't think that David was deluded or dehydrated when he said this. Right? I mean, it's in the Bible. I believe that he was a man with a revelation that's beyond most of us today. He was utterly convinced because of God's forgiveness in his life. He was utterly convinced that there was nothing on his ledger but high praise from his God. He, he pleased the heart of God, not because he was perfect, but because he was in connection with his God. He saw himself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus before that verse was ever penned. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, by the way, if you want to look it up. So the human way to look at righteousness is simply by avoiding demerits, right? It's all about avoiding. But if we look at righteousness as right relationship, it takes that definition to a new level. I like to think of it like this. I, you know, my dad was a great dad, and he, he would say things like, I would get all flustered about something. He'd be like, you're all right. You're all right. And so I think about that like my daddy going, I'm all right with you, and you're all right with me. Why are you convincing yourself that you're not? Jesus, you know that song, Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is so much more than just all right with you if you are in him. Now, does that mean you're completely mature for him to be right with you? For you to be right with your kids, does that mean they're completely mature? No. God knows that you still have growing to do, but you can be right with him with nothing barring that. Have you ever had a rift in your relationship and you were able to then go and repair it? Like maybe either you apologized or you cleared up a miscommunication and suddenly then you're right with that person? And maybe sometimes you feel even more right than you've ever been with that person because you've been through something hard, right? But then on the flip side, you can have an argument with someone who's like whipping around the sores, really good with words, and they prove you wrong. They are right. What does that do to your relationship? Their rightness destroys the relationship. Isn't that true? So this is the difference between actually being connected and just being self-righteous. See what I'm saying? The relationship is a superior goal. It's not that we shouldn't look at all those measurables. It's not that those don't count at all. But the relationship is superior. 
And, you know, sometimes Christians, we, we throw around terms like I'm covered by the blood. And, and that's not a bad term to say you're covered by the blood. But here's how I used to see it. I am so dirty and sinful over here that Jesus' blood just, you know, covered me. And that's the only way God could really tolerate me was by looking at Jesus and not at me. Okay? Has anybody thought this way before? Like, it's, yes, it's all about Jesus. But he's renewing you. He's making you new. And he loves you. He loves you. He's not just tolerating you. It's, it's, I like to see it like this, and if I had a board, I, I could draw it, but I think you can imagine with me. A line like this. Jesus and God are complete alignment, correct? Just like this. And then we're down here, and we've got, sometimes our lines kind of get askew. We get off in a different direction, right? But then when God calls us, he, it's like a magnetic force, and he like pulls us to himself, and then we go straight up. We, are, we become upright. We become right before him. And it's, it's an act of faith that aligns us, correct? And so what is that? Remember back in geometry, remember what that creates, that line with another line? What's it called? A right angle. <laughs> we were made to live at a right angle. We were made to live upright with him, but it's about the position and about the connection. So you can be all right with him. And if you're not, you can be by faith. You can be that today. Now, some of you have made that decision to be all right with him, but you're, and you're this straight little line, and you still are insecure, because I felt it before. But I don't feel very right. Have you ever had this feeling? I, I don't. Something, I don't even know what I did, but something's wrong. Something's wrong. Well, the scripture tells us in John 3.20, it tells us that our own hearts and our own consciences can actually lie to us and tell us that we're not right when we are. Has that ever happened to you? So if, you're, if there's anything, yeah, sure, we repent and we want to make things right, but if there's nothing else that you can think of to repent for, just know you're right. You know that the, that the enemy is lying to you. That's why we need something called a breastplate of righteousness. Ever heard of that? Breastplate of righteousness? It's meant to protect our hearts because our hearts try to condemn us all the time. It's meant to protect our connection. When you don't feel like you're, you're right enough with him, you won't come to him. You won't connect with him, right? Jesus' blood truly took care of it. And he wants to protect us from those accusing darts of the enemy. So it's not about the list. It's about the alignment. That's why David could celebrate his righteousness. That's why he wasn't ashamed to say he was righteous. Because God gave him revelation of how he saw him. And that even when he went into the temple and he technically broke one of the rules because he was hungry and went in and took some of the bread, right, that was consecrated unto the Lord, because of his right relationship, didn't mess him up. So I think about also the woman with the issue of blood, remember? Well, she was unclean by the standards of the law. And she shouldn't have even been in that crowd. She should have been way out somewhere else. But by faith, she believed that Jesus' rightness could make her right. That, she, that by touching him, she wasn't defiling him. That his righteousness was strong enough to make her right 
because his rightness is enough to turn us right when we come into alignment with it by faith. So in other words, he is so legit that when you get around him, you're legit too. <laughs> too legit to quit. You, ha you know you're thinking it. <laughs> it shows my age. But I'm going to preach a whole message someday about too legit to quit. <laughs> um, so, you know, later on, I don't want to, Pastor Mark's back there, I don't want to steal his thunder, but he, it, later on it talks about Abraham. And Abraham, his relationship with God never started out under the law. It started out by an act of faith, didn't it? And he's the father of faith. And so he's going to get into that. It's going to be really awesome next week. But connection has always been the goal that God's had with us. Even on Mount Sinai, God tried to invite the people up, and they didn't want to come. They'd rather have their list. They'd rather have their manual. So, you know, no matter how many times, I know you've heard a message like this before about rules and re over relationship, but I think I still need to ask myself this question. How have I sunk to the level of rule ticking over relationship building? Because it's so, so easy for us to do in the Christian walk, isn't there? It's, it's the thing that people, other people can see. You know, though, when it happens, like in your marriage, for example, if you start listing off all the things that you've done for your spouse lately and why they should be happy that you've done those things, don't you think that's, uh, you're getting off the track a little bit? If you have to keep track, you're on the wrong track. You can just remember that one. So here are a bunch of questions that, that can kind of be your litmus test that you can ask yourself maybe over this week. Is your focus on the technical actions or the right relationship? We think about this even like with sexual sin. Oh, am I technically like doing something or, okay. You guys know you think this way. I'm saying it from the pulpit. Uh, do you find yourself quantifying or connecting? Do you find yourself watching the clock or are you watching for impact? Are you focused on comparison or the course that God has given you to run? Are you checking off boxes throughout your day? Not that there's anything wrong with boxes. I love boxes. But are you checking your alignment just as much? See, questions like this don't get us away from doing the right thing. But they call us up to a higher motivation. And they make us able to do it. To do it with, without the same kind of effort. And so it's not that we throw away the manual, but this breathes life into places where the manual could not. That's what faith does. And the greatest tragedy I could think of today is if you could be hearing me and you're like, this is too simple, this is too good. This cannot be for me. I'm going to go back to my list. I'm going to go back to my fig leaves. There's a story. Uh, do you guys like Les Miserables? That story, Les Miserables, for some of you. Uh, that's how my father-in-law says it. Um, there's the villain, right? His name is Javert. And he is met face-to-face -face in the story with Jean Valjean, who's the main character. And, and this is such a redemptive story. Jean Valjean gets forgiven of all this sin, but Javert would not let it go. He was a man of the manual, of the law, right? And so they're face-to-face, -face and, and finally Jean Valjean gets gets a chance to actually kill him, to, to finally be rid of this villain. And um, he, he doesn't. He stops because he, he remembers the love and the forgiveness that he's been shown. And so he lets Javert go. 
And it's so sad because Javert had spent so much time operating by the manual that he couldn't fathom what in the world was going on. He could not accept the forgiveness because he couldn't separate himself from the manual. That's the only way he knew how to live. He ends up in the movie killing himself, jumping off of a bridge. And it's super tragic, it's super sad. But it's just such a wonderful picture of what happens when we can't accept the simplicity of the gospel. The radical idea that righteousness can be gained apart from the manual. So, like I said, I, I was dying of this kind of thinking, literally. And I want to save you the trouble. <laughs> Um, at worst, it's going to keep us from eternal life in Jesus, right? But at best, it's going to keep us from loving people, from connecting with our God like we could. So, so it's time that we live at a right angle. It's time that we know who we are at a right angle with God and, and to, to leave behind our fig leaves, right? Those things that we rely on to make ourselves look good and just come to God as we are. So go ahead and bow your eyes. Bow your eyes. Bow your heads. <laughs> Close your eyes at the same time. Um, let's just ask our Father God just one simple question. Father, am I all right with you? God, quiet our hearts that lie to us, Lord, and, and let us hear your answer. If you're just sensing a yes from him, I just want you to, to really... Repeat this in your mind. I am all right. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And just breathe a breath and let all of your anxiety go. And just thank him for that. And if there's anybody in here who really did sense a no, and you know in your spirit, you actually aren't right with him. You've never actually had the courage to step out in faith and just believe the simplicity of his word. Ask him this, how can I be in right relationship with you? What do I need to do to align myself to your truth? And just hear his truth. Jesus, we just confess that you have already paid for all the sin of my past, present, and my future. And all I have to do is to align myself with, your, with you and who you are. This day I choose to align myself with you. And I ask you to make me right. I confess that I've sinned. And I ask you now to cleanse my conscience of all the guilt and residual shame that comes along with that sin. And now I want to put on that helmet of salvation that says I am bought by you. You define me, Jesus. And I put on my breastplate of righteousness. And I accept that gift. I thank you, Jesus, for making me righteous in your sight. And I want to choose now to live my life completely aligned, completely agreeing with who you say I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.